Hello, podcast friends. I cannot believe how long it has been since my last podcast. I think it's like five, I don't know, maybe six months. I'm actually afraid to count. But so much has happened during that time. I actually feel like I've lived a whole lifetime in the past few months. Sheila and I have been through some serious loss in our personal lives, and that has had a huge effect on us. Not to mention that I am now fully retired from occupational church ministry, which in some ways includes grieving, but certainly a ton of anxiety of living without a paycheck, all of which has contributed to some pretty significant burnout on my part. So today I want to talk about what I've learned, or maybe better said, what I'm learning about God and about myself in all of this. Welcome to Deeply Spiritual But Rather Uncertain, and to my little closet studio here in South Africa. This is the place we ask the question, what does spirituality look like even when we have doubts and questions and uncertainty? Or even when we disagree with the religious party line? Or even when we are not sure at all about this whole God thing? My name is Skip Collins. I am the host, presenter, producer, and marketer of this podcast. Yep, it's just me in my closet with all of my own questions and uncertainty. So if that kind of podcast fits you, welcome. I want to begin by telling you the story of Andiswa Modise, a beautiful little girl who was in our baby house for a year and two days. For those of you that might be new to the podcast, my wife Sheila and I are registered crisis parents and we care for abandoned babies in our home. We have had almost 60 beautiful babies that have lived with us over the last six and a half years. Andy came to us when she was three months old, or at least that was her estimated age. We knew nothing of her past or of her medical record. We didn't know who her parents were or where we could find them. But Andy was a happy, fun baby. She seemed perfectly healthy and really was a favorite among the staff and the volunteers. But everything changed on the 22nd of April last year. My middle son, Jeremiah, and his family were visiting from the States. We were so excited. They had just arrived the night before. We had a really full schedule planned while they were here. But while we were out that first morning, we got a call from the staff that Andy was really sick. When we arrived home, we could tell something was terribly wrong. So we went immediately to the emergency room at the hospital. She was having repeated seizures, and it took most of the day before they could get her stable. The short story is that she was diagnosed with TB meningitis, and for the next eight months, we were in and out of hospitals more times than I really want to remember. Within a short time, we found out that the TB was also in her spine, that she had fluid on her brain, and that was causing swelling and great pain and probably some long-term brain damage. She couldn't keep any food down, and she was losing weight quickly. 
In October, around the time of my last podcast, she had an operation where they inserted a shunt or a small tube between her brain and her stomach to release the fluid on her brain. We were really excited after the operation because we felt like she had finally turned a corner. She was returning to her old self, happy and playful, eating and keeping it down and gaining weight. Andy loved to make faces. Even when she was the sickest, I would walk into the hospital and she would try to make a face at me. On days she was feeling well, she would make faces at every nurse and doctor that came into the ward. But now she was doing it all the time again and to everybody. So she was released from the hospital and we were quite encouraged. Sheila and I were super focused on finding a family for her, even with all of her challenges. We would say to each other, somewhere in the world, there has to be a family that will take her in and love her and care for her like their own. We were determined to find that family no matter what it took. We would not just let her end up in the system, as it were. She had to have a family. Then on the morning of December 21st, one year and two days after coming to stay with us, she started having seizures again. We were back at the hospital in a flash. They did everything they could, but Andy passed away at about five o'clock that evening. We were completely devastated, to say the least. I've told people that I don't know what it's like to lose a biological child, so I can't compare. But I do know that we loved her as much as we loved our boys. And so the loss was beyond anything Sheila and I had ever experienced. Shortly after Andy's death, ten days later, another one of our babies ended up in the hospital and we almost lost her. And then five days after her three-week stint in the hospital, another one of our babies got incredibly sick. And she was in hospital for a month and just released a couple of days ago. Both of them, fortunately, are doing well at this point, And we are incredibly grateful. But the honest truth is that all of the loss and pain and uncertainty of the last months had completely stolen my mojo, at least for a while. I feel like it's starting to come back, and today is actually the first day in many months I've really been excited about working on a new podcast. People keep saying, when is the podcast going to start? I would just say soon, but the truth was I didn't even know if I could do it. But I've done a lot of reflection over these past months. Some of it has been very positive and some not so positive. See, reflection that leaves one feeling guilty about what you should have done or what you could have done, that kind of reflection is not helpful. But reflection that helps us look forward, that keeps us on the right road, or that gives us a new road to travel down, that kind of reflection is incredibly healthy. And as I've reflected, there are, there are two things that really stand out for me that I think are worth sharing on this podcast.
So let me start by talking about disparity. The gap between the rich and the poor in our world and in our communities. If I were to ask you where the biggest gap exists in our world, I don't know if you would know that or I don't know what you would guess. Maybe you do know, but certainly I would have guessed someplace like India or maybe somewhere in South America or maybe the United States, Um, but I was wrong. Because by most measurements of disparity or income inequality in our world, South Africa comes out as number one. We have the biggest gap in the world between the haves and the have-nots. But to my American friends, before you get too smug, the gap in the USA is growing pretty much faster than anywhere else in the world. And if you look at the statistics around the top 1% of the richest people and how much of the national wealth they hold, the United States holds the top position with that stat, with 1% of the people controlling up to 40% of the wealth of the whole country of America. Now, before you think I'm running for president of the United States, which I'm not, let me tell you why I've been thinking about this so much. South Africa has two medical systems. There are private hospitals and government-sponsored hospitals or medical care. If you can afford it, which means you can afford health insurance or what we call medical aid here in South Africa, you can take advantage of the private system. The doctors and the nurses are excellent, the equipment is modern, and the care is state-of-the-art. Then there's the government-paid health care that is used by the vast majority of the country. You pay based on your income, and so for most people, it's basically free. We have found some of the most amazing doctors and staff within the government system, but the, the systems themselves are shocking. The hospitals are incredibly overcrowded and in need of repair and not usually air-conditioned. The equipment is old and outdated and oftentimes doesn't even work. If you have an appointment with a doctor, you, you, gotta, you, you arrive there like by 7 a.m. in the morning. So you leave home 6.30 or so. You get there about 7. There are no actual appointments. You just show up on the day. Then you get in a very long queue to obtain your file. That usually takes at least an hour. Then once you've obtained your file, you go to the area where you will meet the doctor, um, and then you wait in another really long queue. Um, Then once you see your doctor, and you don't actually actually have your own doctor, you just get whatever doctor is on duty that day. Um, But once you see them, then you're sent down the pharmacy to pick up some medication, and of course it's all free. And when you arrive there, you get another very long queue to wait your turn. And the short story is that if you have a doctor's appointment, you do well to get home by three in the afternoon. It's like a seven, eight hour day just to go to the doctor. Because you can't get health insurance for our babies, when they are sick, we use the government system. With Andy, we went through that routine pretty much 
once a week, except for the times when she had been admitted into hospital, and then we would spend our days with her in the ward. I was with her at the hospital just two days before she passed away. Sheila had been there the day before that. So after Sheila was there for an entire day, the doctor that she needed to see wasn't there, and so they told her that she'd have to come back the next day. So on the next day, I went. And then they told me, no, we need to do a CT scan to see what's going on. And so they sent me down to that department. I was encouraged that maybe we could find out what was going on because suddenly she wasn't doing very well. They gave me a card for her CT scan that was scheduled for four months later. 48 hours after that, she passed away. You can imagine that in all of this, we were incredibly frustrated and angry. But at the same time, it made me so aware of my own privilege. I was literally forced to open my eyes and see the disparity that is all around me. There is no doubt that if Andy had been born into a family of privilege, things would have been radically different. If we would have been able to put her on our medical aid policy, there's a real possibility that she would still be with us. Just to put all this in perspective a little bit, the living wage in South Africa, what it costs for a family of three to live just above the poverty line, is a little bit under 7,000 rands per month. 70% of South Africans make less than that. 70% of our people make less than what it costs to live. But when you drive around many communities, you see massive, beautiful homes. You'll see a solid infrastructure and crowded shopping malls. There's a lot of money around. But 70% of the people live below the poverty line. I read an article that in the USA, even with a booming economy and incredibly low unemployment, 50% of the workforce are in low-income jobs. Jobs that pay minimum wage or just a little bit above. Jobs that leave them close to the poverty line. And then you have 1% of the population that control 40% of the vast wealth of America. Something is desperately wrong with this picture. Now, I'm not here to enter into a political debate around this, although there is a political debate that needs to be had in most countries of the world. And I'm always happy to enter into that debate. But there's also a debate that needs to be had with the church. Where is the church on this issue? Why are we not talking about this? But that's also not what I want to talk about today. Because, see, the truth is that governments are not going to solve this problem. And I'm afraid that even the church is not going to solve this problem. Because the problem is a heart problem. It's my heart problem. The problem is a problem of greed. 
See, we all wish we could solve poverty. We all wish everyone in the world had clean drinking water. We all wish there was more equality in the world. But the real question is, what am I willing to sacrifice to make that happen? The Old Testament prophets were certainly not afraid to talk about this subject. In fact, it is a recurring theme through most of the prophets. Listen to the words of Amos as he speaks on behalf of God to the people of God. I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I have no regard for them. Away with your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll like a river, righteousness like a never-ending stream. Or, or listen to the words of Isaiah from Isaiah chapter 1. Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure inequity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed festivals my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil from your deeds before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's case. There's much debate these days, both here in South Africa and in the USA, around socialism versus capitalism. My opinion is that both systems fail when greed and consumerism are at the center. Socialistic societies that have failed, and there are plenty of examples, failed not because of their policies or because of their high taxes, but because of greed that led to corruption. Socialism on paper sounds great until greed steps into the picture. But the same thing is true of capitalism. It looks good on paper, but in reality, what we seem to get is individual and corporate greed that actually ruled the day. This is mine. I earned it. Even if it's many times more than I could actually spend in a lifetime, it is mine. But with all that said, the question that keeps haunting me, the question that I keep going back to, is how is my heart? There's a famous line that's accredited to the late Bob Pierce, who started World Vision International back in 1950. He said, let my heart be broken by the things that break the heart of God. When Brooke Frazier of Hillsongs wrote the song Hosanna back in 2007, she added that idea with these words, break my heart with what breaks yours. I am sure 
that the disparity between the rich and poor is something that breaks the heart of God. Nothing is going to change politically until our hearts are broken by the disparity around us. Nothing is going to change in the church until the people who are the church are broken by the things that break the heart of God. I don't think God's heart is broken because I have to drive my car another year or two before I trade it in. I don't think God's heart is broken when the taxes go up on those of us in the privileged category. I don't think God's heart is broken when my petrol goes up by 25 cents a liter. I don't think God's heart is broken by stricter gun laws or by the next Supreme Court justice. But I do think God's heart is broken when he looks at a world that he has created, that has everything it needs for every person to live well, but sees the wealth and resource controlled by a very few. I think God's heart is broken when a mom doesn't have enough money to feed her children or when people die because they don't have access to good medical care. As I've reflected on Andy's life, I am deeply aware that as she had been born into a family of privilege, her life most likely would have been very different. If she had gotten the modern health care in a much more timely manner, it's possible that the outcome would have been very different. I believe that on a political level, we must do more to address the issue of disparity in our world. And I think the church must do much more to speak out on these issues. But mostly, I think that I need to be broken with the things that break the heart of God. Because when I am, and when you are, we can figure out how God wants us to live this one life that we have. And I don't know about you, but that's how I want to live out my days. At the beginning Of this episode, I told you that there are two things that I've reflected on since Andy's death, but I've gone and spent all my time on this one thing. So the bad news is that you're going to have to wait till the next episode for part two, and we'll talk about that. But the good thing is that I will release that tomorrow. So tomorrow you can hear um, some of my other thoughts around the story of Andiswa. In the meantime, let me leave you with this quote by the late, great Nelson Mandela. As long as poverty, injustice, and gross inequality persist in our world, none of us can truly rest. We'll see you tomorrow. Shalom. Shalom.